And I think if we would just say, hey, it's okay to be wrong as long as you're open about it, then society could actually have discussions and we could move forward and somebody could say, hey, I've been wrong a lot. But when was the last time you heard a politician say, I've been wrong most of the time and I try to learn from my mistakes? Never. (laughs) They never say that. But we all know that that's how humans work. Welcome to the show about new ideas on how we live, work, and connect. This is Borivi, your host, and in the following episode, together with my guests and listeners, we are again in search of something different. Kurtin, welcome on the show. I'm so happy that we have time for this. Hey, Bori. Long time no see. It's been a few weeks. It's been a few months, I would say. Yeah, last time we saw each other was in Cape Town. Oh, that was right. The South Africa. I heard that you became a teacher ever since. And I'm really, I'm really proud to know someone who is teaching <laughs> teenagers. You are in your classroom right now uh, recording this. So what do you teach these kids? Hey, be quiet. I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> no, just kidding. They're not here now. <laughs> I wish that would be the case. It'd be great. No, you can't go to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> although, actually, we do have some really cool uh, bathroom passes. Right. So going to the toilet is a big deal these days. Okay. So this is an old Christmas ornament from my childhood. It's Michelangelo, okay. the Ninja Turtle, and he's connected to a bathroom pass. So when they're in the hallway, they can show the other teachers. I'm in Mr. Curtin's. Mr. Oh. Curtin's class. Mr. Curtin. So they wow. go to the toilet like like six or eight times a class. It's insane. Um, it's a lot of water. Or their, their, blad- their bladders are like this big, you know. Like <laughs> <laughs> or your class are engaging, but I, yeah, I would think uh, so. So I wanted to ask you, because I think if I think about you, uh, you are somebody who is, I feel that you lived at least like 100 life up until now. At least 24 uh, or 5 for sure. Like I'm so, I'm so tired. Know- I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> So I know you've been a dancer once, you've been in the taxi, you were a traveler, you've been to Ukraine, you've been Mm. to Uganda, and you did all these crazy things wherever you go. So I would feel that nowadays we cannot say, when I grow up, I'm going to be this and or that. And I think you're the greatest example for that, for any kid, that you don't have to decide who you want to be uh, when you grow up, because there's various, various things that you you can do. But then... How do people do you think find purpose or how do you find purpose? What are you in search of something? Uh, something? Yeah, so I, I, I kind of completely failed what I thought the world would be like as a child. My definition of success when I was young and I would have these dreams or fantasies, I wanted to be 100% something. So sometimes I would dream of being a cowboy right? I wanted to ride horses everywhere. I wanted to have different kinds of boots. I wanted to have nice tan, thick skin. You know, even a mosquito couldn't bite me because my skin was so thick. You know, yeah. I wanted to eat burnt steak like a cowboy. (laughs) And I had this whole vision, right? From these Western movies. I'd be like, yeah, I want to be a cowboy. And then a few days later, I would have this dream of being an astronaut. I want to get a PhD and I want to be a physicist and I want to learn science and mathematics and I want to go to space and everything was clean cut and I would wear these nice collared like white shirts with black ties and all this stuff. So I would have these different fantasies, but each one was completely exclusive from the others. Like I couldn't start to be a cowboy and become an astronaut. Like, no, 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 Mm -hmm. no, no, no. But I knew that when I got older, I would pick one of these fantasies and I would just do that, which of course that never happened. I did all of them. (laughs) So I would, (laughs) I would be a cowboy for three months. I would try to be an astronaut for six months. I would be a chef for two months. And and so I, I, you know, I didn't become anything pure, right? I just became this jack of all trades kind of person. And I think the big reason, right, the big reason why is because we don't get to decide what our life is in the long term. We're basically just making millions and millions of small decisions in the Mm -hmm. moment. And I think that shows like kind of what your personality is. So Mm -hmm. my personality, I was prioritizing 
experiences. So I would meet somebody who had been in prison for seven years and I would want to talk to them. Hey, what was it like in prison? You've been out of prison for a few years. How is it any different? How did the world change since you were, you know, uh, before and after prison? Uh, I just wanted to just spend hours with that person asking them about these kind of different experiences. And other people at that same event, they would be talking to the pretty girl trying to get her phone number or telling a story to impress a bunch of potential clients or whatever. But I didn't care about that stuff. For me, I was always prioritizing different ways of living life. Hmm. Like, oh, you're a new mother? Is this your first child? Tell me all about it. Like, how, how is it to have a family? Was it what you expected? What do you not care about anymore from your previous life? All these different things. So I realized in order to get the full experience from other people, I would have to give up my own wishes and like my own progress, my own uh, salary or career. I had to put that in the back, right? Like last priority. If I wanted to prioritize these, like learning about these other people. And of course, if you add travel into that, well, it's a never ending lesson of the world. You can just keep going to new places and asking questions and meeting new people. But I tried to have enough skills so that I could survive in all these different places. And that's why I ended up doing so many different things, whether it was dancing or singing or coaching or playing rugby or using my brain for marketing, finance, chemicals, metals, uh, technology, public speaking, uh, hosting events, right? All those different things, those were just to get by. That was me being an opportunist. But I think the purpose never changed. The purpose mm -hmm. was always to learn more about humanity, to learn more about the world. And I never knew that was my purpose when I was younger. But when I look back at those fantasies, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to experience what was it like to be a 100% cowboy? What was it like to be a chef that owned my own restaurant? What was it like to be a, an accountant or a, a trader on the New York Stock Exchange, you know, finances and stuff? I, I had this craving about what is humanity, right? Mm -hmm. And I think I've done a pretty good job the last 20 years of starting my education on what is humanity and how do people think and why do they do what they do and what makes them cry and what makes them smile, no matter if they're from Africa, Asia, Brazil, Europe, right? So I feel pretty fortunate that the last two decades have been what they have been, uh, because I think as a child, I, I wasn't so clear on what I wanted, but it took those millions and millions of small decisions to kind of show me, hey, this is what you care about. You're prioritizing experiences. So I'm glad that I came to that realization. And now I can make smarter moves uh, mm -hmm. in the future. Yeah. So did it change? Like this curiosity or this hunger that you had disappear? Or are you still one of, one of your lives as a teacher now? Yeah, it's it hasn't disappeared, but I've, I've been more mature about it. So one of the things I really have wanted to do for a long time is to have a family. Um, it's easy to say, it's hard to commit to doing that, especially if that means staying in one place for a few years or keeping the same job for a few years. Uh, I couldn't really expect a woman to follow me around the world, sleeping in hammocks, sleeping at the bus station, eating leftovers from a backpack, <laughs> you know? I mean, cool, if she's out there, that's great, but I was really limiting my, my chances, you know? So I told myself, hey, you haven't been close to family in a bunch of years. You've abandoned your American network, basically. You know, if you want to have a kid, if you want to have a wife and, and all this kind of stuff, maybe, maybe go be a teacher in America for a few years, have some stability, but you still have your summers off. You can, you know, do different things in the summer, whatever, but give it a shot. Give it a, give it a few years, three or four years, see how you feel after that. And if the passion is still there to go to Madagascar and New Zealand and Peru, then that's what I'll do. Uh, if I'm still single and whatever, but if I do have a family, then it becomes a family decision. And I think the family is going to open up a whole new world of 
experiences where how do I want to teach my children? Where do I want them to grow up? What kind of influences do I want them to be surrounded with? And those are going to become much more important than me, you know, as an anthropologist, let's go to Pakistan and, you know, (laughs) things like that. So I'm looking forward to that kind of the stability. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got my eyes open for, you know, future potential family members. Uh, which so is kind of, which is, <laughs> which is, have all the contact details for you? <laughs> which is very different from, let's say the last 20 years where I was not prioritizing my own happiness with a girlfriend. I wasn't prioritizing my own stability with a salary. And now I kind of am like, I'm, I'm not throwing my life away for the highest paying job. Obviously, right? <laughs> but I'm doing something I like doing and I think is valuable, but at least it's more stable, right? I'm going to get paid every month at the same time. I know my salary next year because it's, you know, it's, it's public knowledge. Um, so I've got confidence in the stability for the next couple of years. That allows me to kind of showcase some of my skills to a more stable environment and to try to build a community because mm-hmm. I think um, the community that you and I met through, the nomad crews and the digital nomads around the world, that's a nice community and it's a community that a lot of people don't know exists. So it's, mm-hmm. it's like a piece of gold, it's a little treasure. But it also is very hard to make that your whole life because we move so much. So I would like to try for a few years to play music once a week downtown at the local place. I would like to go to sing karaoke once a week. I would like to, you know, join the hiking group in the fall. Uh, I coach rugby here with the, with the kids. So I'm a coach for the boys and the girls team. And over the years, I'll see those kids get better at sport and then graduate and, you know, move on. So that's something I can't really do if I'm living in East Africa or Southeast Asia or the Caribbean. You can't see those kids mature. You can't, hmm. you know, become a regular playing music down at the at the place. I mean, I guess you can if you stay long enough. Uh, I just actually wrote an article about this. It's going to come out probably around the same time this podcast will, but... It was about, I feel that we are, at one point, we all these nomads, we are just always looking for perfection. If the weather is not good enough, then we're going to go to another place where it's going to be amazing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We're just going to look for comfortable life after Uh one point. And I know that it's different from the adventurous backpacker style that you and I, we, we were both starting that way. And... But at the same time, I feel that we are always looking for perfection. And the article that I just wrote uh, in this digital magazine ends with the, are we running away from imperfection? And uh, yeah. how, is it, how does it feel to, to just stay in one place and then just go over winters that we never do? Or just see how is it to, to coach the local rugby team? And maybe putting the same curiosity into this as what we've put into developing another life mm. with entrepreneurism or, or with being being a backpacker. Well, this is something I discovered in Uganda. I was young. I was 30-something. But my boss was born and raised in East Africa. And he knew a lot of foreigners from the UK or France or Australia who had come to Uganda or Kenya when they were younger, like in their 20s. And then they came back in their 50s or 60s to retire there. And I was always wondering, you know, why would these people come back? And my boss told me, look, once you're old enough, you really understand who you are. If nothing else, you understand what makes you tick and what you like and don't like. So then you're just looking for compatibility. You're just looking for uh, people or an environment or a job that fits who you are, right? So it's just comfort, right? Low stress environments. And a lot of these people had left Uganda when they were 25 years old because they wanted like, you know, some ambitious big job in New York or LA or Sydney or Tokyo. But now that they were 55, 60 years old, all they really wanted was to be left alone, nice weather, low cost of living. They want to have a personal driver. They want to have somebody clean their house for them. 
And they remember, oh, I could do all that in Uganda. <laughs> and so they would come back to Uganda and they would have a, a maid at their house and a personal driver and a big yard with, you know, trees and delicious foods and stuff like that, whatever, fresh fruits all the time. And I said, huh, okay, I wonder when I'm going to reach that stage where I know who I am, right? And I think that's what I've seen a lot of nomads going through this, the stages. They're always chasing summer, running away from winter, not because that's who they are, but because that's what the world is telling them. Like, oh, go to the beach, go to the beach. I remember going to some of those nomad events. We would go to the beach and everybody was hiding in the shade. <laughs> and it's like, nomad's problem. It's why, why don't we go in the sun, guys? They're like, well, I don't really like the sun. I was like, yeah, me either. I mean, look at, look at my skin. Like, I, I want to go in the shade. So there'd be eight of us sitting in the shade in some cafe. It's like, why are we at the beach? Why don't we just go up a mountain or something. Why do we need to be in the Dominican Republic in July or something? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, we could have met in Canada and like, yeah, actually mm -hmm. I prefer Canada. So I think as, as nomads get a bit more mature and it's fine to always go to the beach if you know that's, that's you, if you know that's your thing. But a lot of us don't know what our thing is yet, right? So for me, I love 16 degrees. I, I love 16 degrees right? You have a little jumper. You can still wear shorts. You know, if you're, if you're moving around, you can feel the wind on your face. I love that weather. All right. So like Northern Portugal, parts of Sweden, uh, Western Canada, you know, uh, Southern Australia, sometimes, you know, like all these kind of like, Ooh, yeah, yeah. Um, I just love that kind of weather. But every time I would get together with a group of nomads, it was, you know, Thailand, Northern Brazil, Caribbean, and I'm like, too hot, guys, too hot. <laughs> I do. Now, this is where we're going to lose a lot of listeners. I'm like, oh, these spoiled brats. <laughs> yeah. But the, po the point is, you, you realize what's that good match for you, right? Maybe it's not an astronaut or a cowboy. Maybe it's this other lifestyle. And that's fine. Like, go do that, right? Go do that thing. It takes a while, right? It could take two decades to figure that out. Or it mm. could take a semester, or a summer, you're like, oh, nope, I don't like this. So that's what I would encourage people to do is don't, don't cut off your options. But when you are exploring for yourself, just be very aware. Like, does this feel right for me? Or do I only enjoy this because of the other people? Because I was loving the nomad lifestyle, but it was because of the other nomads. It wasn't because of the beach or, you know, the bars and the restaurants and the museums and the climbing the mountains, those are okay. But it was the people and the connections. And that's why, like, when you talk to people who have been in prison, for example, nobody fantasizes about the scenic views from prison. Nobody has, talks about the food at prison. Like, oh, it's a two-star Michelin prison with <laughs> amazing food. But guess what? They still have people there. So the people that come out of prison, they talk about the amazing, like, one or two relationships that they made, like they met this person, they never expected to meet somebody like this. They were mentored by this person for five years before they got out. And it's like, wow, if we could focus on the people at the cafe or the people at the beach or the people in the mountains or the people uh, sitting next to us on the airplane, that's going to make your life rich, right? Mm -hmm. you, you surround yourself with the right kind of people and you find people that kind of share certain things. It, they're not just going to come out and tell you, you have to dig for it, right? You have to ask questions. You have to be vulnerable. You have to share yourself and your own stories in order for them to share their stories. But if you get in the habit of doing that, you're going to end up finding some amazing people and no matter what the temperature and no matter what the economy is doing or how expensive Bitcoin is, you're going to have those people in your life. And I think that's the most valuable thing that I've discovered over the last 20 some years. Yeah, Japan was cool. Uh, you know, Turkey was beautiful. Italy was delicious. Morocco was you know, fun. Uh, great. But 
Which people people did I meet in Turkey? You know, I still, I still can hear their voices. Like, right. I, uh, I bumped into one of them a couple of years ago and I was like, Hey, we met in Turkey back in 2008. And I still remember intimate details about that first week together. And those are special, right? I, I forget what the temperature was and I forget what food we ate or how much money I had or what my job was. I forget all those things, but I remember how the people made me feel. Mm. And I'm so happy. Like if I die tomorrow, I I will have lived such a rich life of like, you know, these people, these people, these people, these people. So you see, you see, you went, you went around the world to figuring out about experiences, but you ended up uh, finding connections. And I think that's really true for for anybody who's starts to go on this journey. And then this whole podcast is about how we are connecting. And then these conversations that we have mm-hmm. along the way is something for me that it's so, so precious. We just had a, a conversation a few years, well, a few days ago with somebody who's also been a backpacker like us in the beginning and with like the cheapest way of travel. And then sleep. I did not sleep in bus stations, but because I'm a solo <laughs> female traveler. And then there's like yeah. a little bit of a difference there. <laughs> But I, I did a lot of hostels and then yeah. all these. And then we were, uh, we, I think we're kind of the same age, which means that you probably did a lot of couch surfing. And I yeah. also was like a big, big couch surfer. 2006. Back yeah. In the, yeah. Uh, I Actually, mean, for me, it's 2010, but yeah. Um, Casey Fenton, the yeah, founder of couch yeah. surfing. So his wife um, wrote a book about something that I was kind of coaching during COVID and Casey and I got in touch. He had, um, so he left couch surfing, whoever owns it now, it's like a B corporation or something or other. They started charging uh, money because of uh, finance issues, I guess, with COVID and stuff. But anyway, so he wasn't part of those changes. Uh, He's been doing his other projects and he was really fascinated with the idea of trust, right? Obviously, with something like couch surfing, it's mostly about trust, the whole verification, vouching uh, process and stuff. So he's been exploring trust in business. He's been exploring trust in news media, whatever. Like, like how would venture capital work with a trust metric, for example? Like, like what's your trustworthiness as a person? And way beyond credit score, but like, why do we trust certain people? And very interesting stuff. So. He and I had a a phone call right before I went to Ukraine uh, when I was still living in the Netherlands. And I told him, I said, hey, man, whatever you end up doing in the future, that's like, that's great. I'm a big supporter. Uh, I just wanted to say, though, man, like since 2006, the thing that you started really has changed my life because I grew up in the U.S. and people here, they talk about travel as being very expensive, Like, oh, you can't go to Hong Kong because hotel is like $200 a night and eating out at a restaurant is like $50 and the flights are $2,000. Yeah, but they said these before. Like, that's That's what I mean. But they said that before, too. It's like, I think I think they're always going to say that travel is expensive. Right, and you, can right. all, you will always be able to travel cheap. So, so when I found couch surfing and I realized, hey, I don't need to save $6,000 to go to Germany, <laughs> you know, you can just take a bus to Germany for five euros and then couch surf with some local for two days and then figure out what you want to do from there. And when my hosts would cook for me, I would, I would wash the dishes and then I would teach them something like a, a language trick or like how to do some kind of finger exercise, uh, that would like stimulate the mind. And they, they would teach me like how to yodel or, you know, some vocal thing. And then ah, yeah, like, we were just, we were, can you yodel now? Is, is no. that, is, is this something that you learned? I, I, I need like special, <laughs> special, bells. there's certain vocal Too exercises, <laughs> but I remember, I remember some of the, you know, like, like warm ups <laughs> and everything. It's so, it's so weird. All the stuff you'd learn from these people, but they, these, be, these people became super concentrated, interesting, like Wikipedia pages for their own country. You know, it's like, welcome to Switzerland. Here's some cheese from the refrigerator. Here's a yodeling uh, exercise. Uh, Here's a history of Swiss football of the last 10 years because the guy's closet was full of football jerseys. Mm. And so I was like, wow, I'm learning more about Switzerland in two hours than I would have 
yeah, studying definitely. it. You know? so, but here's here's one thing what I wanted to ask. So I kind of had this feeling when I had this talk with this ex-backpacker who's like the same age oh, right, uh, right, as right. ours, also doing the couch surfing and uh and you know now we don't really have couch surfing frankly let's be yeah. honest and yeah. i don't particularly want to go to a hostel anymore ever yeah freaking ever <laughs> uh and i have like i'm renting my whole apartment in lisbon and you know like all these okay. all these things that i i prefer to do right now but i miss that part of connection with those people with whom yeah. we had a similar value yeah. and our value was like i don't give a shit about where i'm staying what I'm saying is I want to have mind-blowing conversations and I want to have experiences that I, uh, other people don't have. And I, I have this question ever since this talk with this friend of mine. Where are these people? Where, where is it? Because I feel that we were a clown, like, not a clown, yeah. like a tribe. Yeah. And I, I kind of like, we grew, you're a teacher now. This guy is a researcher. I'm, I don't even know who I am. I'm a podcaster right now. You're a podcaster, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm making, I kind of miss the community and I kind of feel that yeah. those people who were travelers 10 years ago, they need to, like, what do you think we are? <laughs> well, that, that happens with every generation. I think there's some big change. Uh, for example, when farming was all with the hands and the hand tools, though that generation of farmers grew up a certain way when they were teenagers and doing chores on the farm, and then they got machine tools, right? So if you were still unmarried had grown up with hand tools and now you're like 38 years old and you're saying, where are all the old farmers? Like, well, they're, <laughs> they've moved on. They got married. They had kids. Now their kids have mm. uh, machine tools. We're mm. never going back. We're never going back to the hand tools. We're just going to go forward to the tractors and then, you know, robots doing their own farming with no humans and stuff. You, you can't, you can't step in the same river twice, right? Like the old Chinese uh, proverb or whatever. I think what happened was we had a v like that 2005, 2010. That oh, was man. a very interesting time because the internet was available. So you could connect to stuff that was impossible in the 90s. But people didn't have smartphones, really. Um, it wasn't expected that you were like, la, 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 la. so there was still the expectation of a paper map and asking directions and talking to humans. Having lonely planets. Having lonely yeah. planet, right? Yeah. We, remember that dream job? Like, oh, one day I want to write for yeah. Lonely Planet. Yeah. Like I want you'd like choose a city like Oslo. Oh, I'm gonna be a I'm gonna live in Oslo and I'm gonna write for the Lonely Planet in Oslo. Those were dreams. And now, like, I haven't touched a, a paper guidebook in years, right? Because you're just like, uh, you go to no, nomadlist.io and there's millions of things. You just there. ask ChatGPT, that's all. Or ChatGPT, like, right? So, so that, that late 2000s, the Audis, the Audis or whatever they're called, mm -hmm. that was kind of a magical time because people were still willing to treat you like a backpacker, like a hostile kind of vibe. Yeah. But you could find them on the internet. And now, probably the last 50 couch surfing messages I've found, no one cares about me, mm -mm. right? They're like, hello, person, I'm coming to your city. I'm doing a project for grad school. You will help me. I'm like, oh, okay. Hi. <laughs> okay. I remember couch surfing, I would look for towns that had zero hosts, right? It would be like Maribor, Slovenia the second largest city in the country, right? Like, Maribor, Slovenia. And it would say like, you have three options and one person hasn't logged in in a year. I'm like, okay, well, there are. <laughs> so there were, like, there were like two people to choose from. And you're like, okay, it's this guy or this guy. And I would read both their profiles. I'd send them both a message. Um, and one guy was like, hey, I bet you wrote to the other guy. I was like, yeah, I did. <laughs> like they knew each other, you know, and all that stuff. That was great because then you would show up and they were like, hey, thank you so much for coming to my town. And you're like, yeah, no problem, buddy, you know. And you would just have this instant connection. And now I think with, with Uber and Airbnb and people are expecting to be taken care of. They're expecting you to treat them like it's a service. I'm like, yo, this is not a service. I'm a person. This is my life. You know, if you want to step into my life, there needs to be some kind of spark or some something, you know, some kind of sharing, some kind of trading. Um, 
but some, some of the best connections I ever had in my life were from couch, like dudes I met on couch surfing, even for six hours or 20 hours. And then 15 years later, we send a message to each other and he's like, yeah, I've got three children and <laughs> I live in, I live in Northern Japan now. I'm like, no way. I was just in Sapporo this, this spring. He's like, no way. <laughs> and like, I still trust the guy, right? Because we had such great beginning experience. And then there's people that I've worked with for two years and other jobs. And it's like, I don't, I don't trust them at all. <laughs> so. Yeah. But I guess it's because it's been, you had the same value of, of being open. And then this other thing, trust i think you know with the with the whole like me being a f female solo traveler that was like another level of trusting yeah. i think sometimes the universe frankly i had a few occasions when i'm like <laughs> this is time for me to pray yeah, yeah, <laughs> because all the other all options are out yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and yeah, actually yeah. i i managed to, to survive with like really good uh, scores i would say um i'm still here talking and everything yeah. um so I would say that this whole trust, there was somebody on a podcast asking this today. Do you think trust can be chosen? Like, do you think you can choose to trust somebody? Yeah. yeah. And, and we know this because when people are in desperate situations, right, it's kind of cool. Like we control our own scorecard in our head. Like we decide what counts and what doesn't count. And then we also are the one performing. So mm. think of the Olympics we're a gymnast flopping around, but we're also the judge that holds up eight and a half or 10. So if you want a higher score, you can either perform better or you can just change your expectation, <laughs> you know, like change the scoring metrics. So when I'm in, when I'm feeling good, when I'm in like a great environment and my job is, you know, clicking and I've got a good relationship and everything is, I'm healthy, it's harder for me to you know, meet somebody great and like, oh, and meet my expectations. But if I'm having a terrible time, if I'm, you know, staying on people's floors, I don't have an apartment, I don't have a job, um, I'm, uh, I don't have a visa for the country I'm currently in, it's much, much, much easier for me to trust somebody who does the smallest thing nice for me because I need that right now. Like I need someone to rely on. So therefore mm. you're flopping around on the floor and I'm like, Hey, that's a 10. Hey, good job. <laughs> <laughs> and of course it's also dangerous because you can trust people who maybe aren't so trustworthy and they burn you. Right. Mm. But what, what I think is really nice is you end up meeting a ton of people who you can trust, but you never would have gotten that close to them so quickly unless you were desperate. So I've met people who just let me borrow their phone to make a phone call because my, my SIM card was out of credit in the country and I couldn't, I, you know, I couldn't pay with my card somehow to get the SIM card credit. So I, somebody lets me borrow their phone and then they have a picture in the background of their phone of a cat and I start talking about my cat and then we have a conversation about pets and then we have a conversation about hot chocolate and then we talk about the circus and, and then we end up spending three days together. And <laughs> it turns out this is one of my you know, best friends in Germany or something like that. And it's all because I needed I needed somebody in that moment to wait with me for an hour and use their phone <laughs> in the snow or something. So I love that life kind of pushes us. Uh, in those desperate situations to open up more to the world. And once you learn kind of how good that feels, it's much easier to do it when you don't have to do it. Right. So when I do have a little bit of money, when I do have a salary that is coming every month and you see a homeless person walking down the street, instead of just giving them money and walking away, I like to stop and maybe have a conversation for half an hour. And then it turns out in that conversation, the person is super engaged because they haven't, you know, they haven't had a peer like this. Nobody talks to them for half an hour. 
Most people ignore them. Some people give them some coins, but nobody sits there and looks at them in the eye and like actually listens to them and talks to them and continues a conversation. I'm not trying to convert them to my religion. I'm not trying to get them into a home. I'm not trying to get them to stop smoking cigarettes. I don't have any agenda, right? I don't need them to do anything for me. I'm just spending half an hour with this person. And if they want to talk about wrestling and Hulk Hogan, then we talk about wrestling. If they want to talk about the economy, sure, let's talk about, you know, the future of AI, you know, (laughs) like whatever you want, man. But they seem to appreciate that. And I didn't know that. Like when I was younger, I thought the best thing you could do for a homeless person was to you know, give them a lottery ticket or something. Yeah. But it's like, actually they just want to, they just want to be a person for a while. They just want to like feel like connected to the community for a while. They want to, yeah. Yeah. And I I guess that goes back a little bit to purpose as well. So many people say Mm -hmm. it's like maybe the best thing that you can do is not money, but job because you can have some, some sort of purpose, but going back a little bit to trust. Mm -hmm. And there's something that wants to come come out and I'm curious about your opinion. So during my travels, when I went, uh, on and off, like changing countries uh, various, various times. I felt that I didn't only started to trust people, but I started to trust a little bit on, uh, on a higher power. And hmm. uh, because there were all these, as I said, all these different scenarios when I was like, okay, this is only praying situation and praying will be able to help me. Did you encounter something similar as well on your, or just like? I think everyone's worldview can change right? If you allow it to. And a lot of times what we're taught as children is very simplistic and the world is always more complicated. So a lot of us challenge whatever we were taught as children. So a lot of people are raised that there are good people and bad people or good things and bad things. And the news tells us that like there was a fire. That's a bad thing. There's a war. That's a bad thing. Okay. Yeah. But of course, when you meet two people that are fighting a war and both of them have very good reasons for defending themselves and they both love their family and they both love their country, it's kind of like, ooh, ooh, I don't know who's bad anymore, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) It's not like the Marvel movies where the bad guy wears horns. And it's easy yeah. to see, oh, he's the bad one. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we need to cheer for the other one, yeah. So all of a sudden, those giant concepts of good and bad or right and wrong kind of start to break down. And you're like, well, what what can I believe in? Like, do I believe in karma? Like, should should good people end up getting rewarded somehow? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but yeah, you you can decide to trust and have a little bit more hope in the whole world. Or you can become very pessimistic, uh, nihilistic, right? We're like, ah, nothing matters. Who cares? There's no one's in charge. And I found the happiest I've been is when I kind of let go, right? I let go of control and I just kind of see where life takes me. Those have been the happiest moments in my life. And it's like, maybe I don't know where the heck I'm going. You know, like when, when I'm behind the wheel, I don't always end up in the best destinations, but if I let go of the wheel and just let life take me, I end up being surrounded by interesting, caring people who have something to share, something nice to say, and they're smiling. Uh, And so it kind of makes me want to trust more and want to control less. When people say, what's your five-year plan? What kind of job are you going to have in five years? I was like, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> like, and, and to be honest, Five I don't, years, nobody knows I right don't really, now, as I, we are right now. <laughs> it doesn't give me any satisfaction to guess correctly. Like, Oh, oh God. I was a, I'm a consultant and I thought I would be a consultant. Who cares? Right. Who cares? So I just want to kind of be a better version of myself next year. And then the year after and the year after and try to keep learning. Right. And being surrounded by good people and just keep doing that until I die. Mm. Um, you know? Yeah, this letting go control, you know, there's, there was this time in New Zealand where it's one of, one of my stories of like faith and how life, when you let go control helps you out. I went to Queenstown and, and as soon as I get there, it turns out 
that there is zero freaking accommodation in the entire entire village. And I get used to uh, backpacking in, in Asia. So I'm like, I just want to go there. You know, I'm not going to have any booking. Just like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm just going to go to a hostel. I had one night in a hostel. They threw me out and I was just going around at one point even to campsites uh-huh. and like I, I was like i'm gonna buy a tent and just like can i stay here they're like we don't have any space for tents anymore like even the campsites <laughs> were full and at that point i'm like well okay i think i tried everything uh-huh. at this point i don't think i can do anything else i just sat down in the park i took out my ukulele started to play songs and i was like i you know what at this point i'm just gonna let god universe however you prefer uh. to call it i prefer to call it god at that time so i was like i'm just gonna let god make a choice and then suddenly it turns out that a friend of a friend told somebody it's like i i had somebody kind of messaging me like hey uh i figured out how are you gonna stay and i stayed at this wonderful apartment house with this wonderful lady who was like 50 something uh, so like 20 years older and we became super close friends she came visit me after in budapest oh, she's nice. like we had like this amazing bonding experience and that's when i learned like when you know when you don't know what to do you can just like do this hand gesture so if you listen to a podcast it's like you just take your two hands out like i have yeah. no freaking idea what to do next <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. when you are ready to receive that's yeah. when you let go of control and then uh, life is going to solve itself. I would suggest for anybody listening out there that improv is a great kind of little skill to work on. If you can do a little bit of improv comedy, even if you're not that funny, just getting used to reacting quickly and Mm. getting into situations and not being scared. That's such a great skill. Because you, your mind ends up being so calm in those moments and everyone else's mind freezes up. And then you're the only one thinking at a, like a normal level and everyone else. <clears throat> and usually you can use that to your advantage. Either you become a leader like during a fire and you get everybody out of the building or you save someone's life with, you know, some medical procedure or you're on a boat and some storm is coming and you're the one like organizing groups of people. You go do this. You go do that. And afterwards, people are like, oh, how did, oh, thank you so much for helping. It's like, look, it's just a new situation. You know, I, I observed what needed to happen. No one else was doing it. So I stepped up and I, I took charge and this and that. Um, but if you're getting fired or helping someone deliver a baby or I don't know, there's a poisonous snake somewhere in the office, whatever it is, like just get used to like reacting in these different situations. Uh, and I, I would tell you so many times when, you know, you'd be on an airplane and I don't know, waiting for a toilet and that the flight attendant is talking in the microphone, making some announcement and you do something that takes quick wit. And something funny happens and the whole flight is scared because the flight attendant said something, but I react a certain way. And then eh, all the staff are laughing. They're like, oh, this guy, this guy in, in seat, you know, D17, <laughs> like he's, he's a sharp one, you know. And it's not because you're smarter than anybody. It's not because you're, you know, funnier than everybody. It's just because your brain is ready to react. And I think if you're 14 or 20 years old, or even if you're 44 years old, like you can always start doing improv. Just go to your local, you know, group, put yourself in these weird situations, have your mind be, be ready for this kind of stuff. It makes life a lot more interesting. And I've noticed my anxiety has gone, not that I was an anxious person, but my normal humanity of whatever we get nervous about, that's gone so far down, so far down. I mean, I'll be on stage. I was a, I was a tour guide and I was on stage basically talking to this group of 120 people and we're on a boat and the boat is supposed to go through this, you know, channel into this river. And the captain gets on the microphone and tells me, Oh, there's a delay. There's a fire boat. Can you stall them for another hour? I was like, yeah, no problem. You know, it's like, it's like, what? Like, what do you mean stall? There's a group of 120 people. And now I have to just add one more hour of content. You know, I was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. 
and and people people were saying like I would I would pass out if my boss told me to make a 10 minute speech that turned into a 70 minute speech. <laughs> like I don't know what I would do for those 60 minutes. But you just get used to that kind of stuff and then life is not as as scary, right? You wake up in the morning and you're like, yeah, it might rain today, might not. Um, <laughs> might be traffic, maybe not. I might hurt my knee. Maybe I get stung by a bee, you know, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> and then what? So like, I'll be fine. I, I just move on to whatever's next and I'll be but smiling, yeah. you know, through it. So it's kind of learning because I think what you're talking about is self-confidence. Like, you know, when, when, it, when it happens, like something bad happens to you, mm -hmm. then you will be able to kind of react, react in a way that yeah. it's going to be. Cause you, okay, uh, yeah, I think like you can put in your effort, right. Uh, anywhere you want, you can try to control that wheel and say, no, we're going to go over here. And then you're also telling yourself, I am not ready. If anything bad happens, like I have to stay on this path or else I'm screwed. That's what you're kind of telling yourself. And then when life knocks you off the path, you're like, oh no, oh no. Whereas with me, if I let go of the wheel and I say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm just ready for whatever comes, then no matter what comes, you're kind of like, hey, this is my fault for being here. Like I knew I was letting go of the wheel. I knew mm -hmm. I was opening myself up for this and now here it is. So you kind of face it in a bit, a bit of a friendlier reception. It's not like an adversary, like me against the situation. It's like, hey, this is the situation that came to my life because of my choices, because of my habits and my personality. I belong here right now. You know, I belong on this bus station floor at three in the morning because I chose not to get a first class flight and stay at a hotel because I want to spend that money on something else. Right. So I'm choosing to stay on this floor with this strange, creepy guy next to me and whatever. But I'm going to spend that money that I would have spent on a hotel. I'm going to spend that money on, you know, uh, a book and mm. a bus ticket and a haircut coffee. and whatever, yeah. a coffee. Yeah. And yeah. so it's like, okay, so I made that choice. I don't feel like I'm stuck in this bus station. I feel like I belong here. You know? But I think that's what many people get, gets it wrong. And then I think this is one of the things that you can teach people with your story is many people think that they are stuck mm -hmm. and that the, the circumstances around them that makes, makes them stuck in where they are. Mm -hmm. But this guy, ladies and gentlemen, you've been just ever since we talk, you've been a cowboy, an astronaut, an actor in a Chinese movie, right? Uh, uh, TV, TV show. Yeah. TV show. Sorry. Mm -hmm. You've been mm -hmm. like, you've been a tour guide. You've been in the startup scene. Like, I think I can go on forever with the list. <laughs> so how did that ha happen? Like, how do you change all the time, all the time? Like you always feel like, okay, now I want to do this. And then you just create this possibility. Or So th th think about kids, right? Um, you could give a, a child a stick, right? And give any, any six-year-old, any six-year-old child, you give them a stick from a tree. What does that kid do with it? For some of them, it's a magic wand. For some of the kids, it's a laser. For some kids, it's uh, a sword or a rifle. For some kids, it's a horse and they put it between their legs and they ride it around the yard. For other kids, it's a magic frog and they hide it under a rock or whatever. Kids can take that stick and they can make it into whatever suits their imaginations. You give that stick to an adult and they might say something like, oh, this looks like a birch tree. I've identified this as part of a birch tree. And like, there's, there's a right and a wrong answer, right? What kind of tree is it? Or they'll say, oh, this stick might, might be dirty. I'm going to leave it outside. It doesn't belong in the house, all right? They have all these rules. And like the stick is, it's just a stick. That's all it is. And unless you can cut it into some shape and sell it for money, like a pencil or something, then I don't care about the stick. Completely different attitude to the same object, right? So mm -hmm. I would see my life as a stick. And you kind of let the environment tell you what you are. So I would go to a place like China and say, I would spend like two days with somebody. Like Saturday, Sunday, we hang out, we eat together, we go, we go shopping, we go sing karaoke. 
And then after two days, I say, hey, what am I? What am I here? Like, how do you want to play with this stick? Right. And in China, Ooh, yeah, with that question. <laughs> in China, they would say like, oh, you would be a good uh, English teacher for children or like, OK. Or they might say, oh, you should talk to CEOs about work life balance. OK. Or, hey, you've got a good mind for Microsoft Excel. You should work with operations and be a consultant helping uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So I've always been a stick, but in some countries I'm a horse in some countries I'm a laser in some countries I'm a magic wand. Right. Whereas a lot of people are focused on, I don't want to be a stick. I want to be a pencil with has one purpose that's more valuable than a stick, but then, then they can only be a pencil. You know, it's like you mm -hmm. have an eraser, you have a sharp end, you know, I'd rather just be a stick and change my environment and say, how do you want to use me? Hmm. And over the years, I would build up skills, right? So it's kind of fun. It's, it's almost <laughs> like I get something from the environment. The environment gets something from me, right? It's like a little uh, relationship that we have, hmm. right? Mute, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that I saw you doing improv the last time I saw you in Cape Town. And you did, you know... you. He, as you can imagine, ladies and gentlemen, he is like on on fire uh, on the stage. Like every time he went on the stage, it was hilarious, obviously. And then I think people went on to like a karaoke and mm -hmm. I didn't go. And then my friend was like, so yeah, we went to karaoke and then there was curtain. And then obviously when he goes on stage, like a little bit later, like everybody, and then he starts singing. Turns out he's a fabulous singer and everybody's in <laughs> tears and you make people cry with like how was a guy crying, singing. yeah. I, I, I sang Elton John. I sang Elton John, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Yeah. And there were all these drunk South Africans that were there like, you know, for a wedding or some other party in town. And then we had the little nomad table, like six or seven of us. And it's funny because singing has been such a huge part of my life, but I guess I never really did it with our community, except for cruise three. We had a voice coach from the UK, uh, Jackie, Jackie, Jackie hole. Yeah. And she taught me some cool tricks and I use them at the karaoke, but that was the karaoke for the ship. So it was all these old Brazilian and Spanish people and then us. And to be honest, still to this day, that was my best version of a Sinatra song uh, with Jackie I've ever done. Um, and I was so impressed with that, but that was the last time I sang in front of you guys. It was like 2016. So mm -hmm. it had been about four, four or six no. years, six years. Yeah. And no. so when I got the chance to sing in front of the nomads, it was so fun. He was like, oh yeah, by the way, this is something else that I like to do. <laughs> and they were like, what's going on? Yeah. I mean, I, w I want a dancing trophy for ballroom dance, you know, like uh, tango and waltz and all that. And then, uh, yeah, I was a singer, singer in a, in a band uh, for a while. I ran my own, you know, PR company and I've done marketing and finance and chemicals and metals and education. And yeah, it's, it's just fun and logistics and, you know, like all these different things, because this is what humanity is. Like humans move stuff from one place to another. Humans grow plants out of the ground. Humans teach other humans. Uh, humans invest their money in different risky things. And the more you know about all those different parts of humanity, the, the more kind of perspective I get, right? Um, so when, when Bitcoin crashes, I understand a bit more about what those investors are going through right now and why they invested and how many of them thought that something like this was possible in the near future. How many, how many got out early because they thought this was coming? Whereas maybe people who have never studied finance, who don't understand different kinds of investments, they just think that there's a bunch of like hippie tech people in the news doing something. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for the amount of understanding I have in the current fields that I'm aware of. And I'm looking forward to more understanding in whatever comes in the future. Because I think one of the sad realities of humanity is that when we get older, we don't really understand the younger generations, right? Um, old people don't know why TikTok is so important. Like, how could their grandson spend five hours a day 
scrolling through videos for two or three or five seconds each. Why not watch a movie for two hours? No, I don't want to watch a movie. <laughs> okay. I don't understand. I don't understand. And that not understanding is so painful because it's like a disconnect. It's like, I'm here. Humanity is here. You know? Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't want that. And I'm going to try to keep, I'm going to try to keep understanding. That's why I'm, I'm here teaching this, uh, you know, younger generation. I'm learning a lot from them, right? As much as they're learning from me. And I'm not liking everything, right? But I'm really glad that I'm learning from them because if I didn't know this generation, it would be so easy just to cut them out of my life mm. and be like, you I, guys, you guys don't even matter. Ah, yeah. Like the good old I days, so like you said, you. what about the good exactly. old days? You know, where are those good I old so days? I so feel you. There is a, <laughs> uh, I, I did a, a little uh, snippet of a podcast about this. Uh, it's uh, about the generational pride that we are so mm. freaking pride. Like we are millennials and then we are the millennials. So we know how it was to like being brought up analog and now we are digital. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. You know, everybody has their own little pride. And I think we just like so stuck up in our own asses. And we don't reach out. And I do something super similar to what you do. I'm not teaching, but I'm going, I'm doing uh, retreats for kids now. Nice. Um, Good. And right. it's just my nieces and nieces and nephews and goddaughters. And uh, I teach them how to be at the vision board, how to meditate, how to do yoga. They're like from age four, you know, up. And <laughs> they can do every same. pose, every pose at age four. <laughs> They're really good in Shavasana for a minute. And then... <laughs> Uh, and they're super adorable. And I teach them how to do like a little bit of breath work, but like not like just like focusing on the breath work, right. not proper breath work. But I feel that it's super important to have like a valid connection to any of the generation, even if they are not blood related. Yeah. And it's because they're teaching us, they're teaching us so much. And then you're going to be end up alone if you yeah. don't, if you don't well, put the effort in there. Last weekend, I guess like nine days ago, I was at an alumni event with one of my universities. All the former rugby players would come back and form a team and we would play against the current players from the university. So the current players are all like 19 to 21 years old and the former players are 22 to 62. You know, crazy stuff. We had, uh, and some of us can only play for a few minutes, but it's cool to have this multi-generational team out there, you know? And at the dinner afterwards, I was sitting at a table with a 19-year-old girl, 20-year-old guy, a 62-year-old guy, you know, a f whatever, a 42-year-old guy, a woman in her late 30s. We're all at the same table. We all have to have a conversation about something, right? So there's like, there's like a 50 year gap in the ages. And some of us live overseas. Some of us have never left the, uh, the local community. Some of us have grandchildren. Some of us, you know, are virgins, like everything from, from the whole spectrum. And we're all trying to have the same conversation. And you could see how the old people really didn't even care to listen to the younger people. And then the younger people didn't have any idea what the heck the old people were talking about. You know, the old guy would say, well, I was raised on values and like, can't talk about values. These, you know, these kids. And then the kids would talk about like, oh, you know, it's uh, oh, that was bet. And like bet, you know, like bet to this old guy means gambling. You know, <laughs> you can't you know, all, these, all these new <laughs> phrases and all these new things. And it, I'm, I'm trying That's to be weird. in the middle, like bringing people like, let me try, let's pull you back in. Let me translate you. Like, yeah. you said. <laughs> but it just shows that it's not naturally that easy to do this kind of stuff. So I think what we'll have to do with technology is um, if we're not careful, it's going to separate all of us. Like I'm going to have my playlist and my little bubble of my internet world and you're going to be right next to me, but you have your own little world that you like. And we're not going to know any of the same musical artists. We're not going to have any of the same experiences in movies. We're not going to even cheer for the same sports team in the Olympics. It's like, oh, I'm Hungarian. Yeah, but I'm anti-government Hungarian. So I hope we lose. It's like, oh, so we're from the same school, but 
you know, what, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. we're, what are we going to have in common? Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to be maybe a struggle is that like, what are our new tribes in the future? Cause is it going to be religion or country or is it going to be company? Like right now, I think Apple has maybe the closest tribe, you know, more so than being a uh, uh, Venezuelan. Like I meet a lot of Venezuelans you know, they love their family, but they're not that proud of being from Venezuela. They're like, ah, our government is like this, la, 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 la. Okay. But they love Apple products. They're like, oh, I will always buy Apple. I have the newest iPhone. I like to talk Mm -hmm. to other people who have Apple. I'm like, oh my gosh, is that our new tribe in the future? It's going to be companies, you know, like, I don't know. So I hope we need, we need something. We need something like a couch surfing where you can build trust where you can have a community, where you can kind of enjoy other opinions and be open to things that are that are within that trusted group that they can bring in from the outside. But I don't know what it's going to be. So, but I think podcasts like this one are a good a good step in the right direction to find to find like-minded mm-hmm. people. Yeah. After all, I think everybody's just looking for connection, and and I think what you just said. It's so important that technology can either get us united or can can separate us. Mm. But as you said before as well, it's it's up on us and based on our own decisions, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And if you're above 30 or about 40 and then you say, I'm not going to watch TikTok because this is for kids. I'm not going to listen to this new, I don't know, whoever pop star because uh, it's too uh, it's it's on you. It's yeah. going to separate you from everybody else, even if you think that it's not. I think just staying curious, it always goes back. That's the, the main, main core value of mm. everybody I'm talking here is that we're all really curious. You're like, yeah. definitely. <laughs> uh, and then if you're keeping this curiosity, I think it's going to lead you to lead you to places as, yeah. <laughs> as you can see. I would say I would suggest one one bit of advice I give to all the teenagers here. But I've also told you know, cl- coaching clients or the, the groups I taught during COVID is that try to take more responsibility, right? If you go to vote for somebody, don't have that be the first time you see their name, right? Try to look them up maybe before you go to the voting booth. Try to do a bit of research. When you have an opinion and when you open your mouth to tell somebody else something, maybe do a little bit of research or try to be responsible for the validity of that, whatever you're saying. The more responsible we can be individually, the better our societies are going to be. Because if I read a newspaper article and I believe it because it's from the newspaper and then I tell my students and then my students tell their girlfriends and boyfriends and something else and something bad happens to one of them, And it comes up to blame me and I blame the newspaper and the newspaper writer blames the editor and the editor blames uh, the climate, right? Like the cancel culture. And then nobody takes any responsibility for anything. I would much rather have people fight for something that they believe in and face the consequences. Like, no, I'm not going to publish this because of this reason. Okay. So they have to you know, they have to fight a bit, but then it doesn't get published. And then I'm not spreading bad information to my students and they're not spreading bad information to to their people. So uh, I'm trying to get people to be more open to failure. Like it's okay not to know. It's okay to be wrong. At least you're open about it. Like, Hey, I don't really know this, but I think this, and here's why I think it. And then if somebody actually knows it, they can say, well, I do know it. You're wrong, but I understand why you think that way. Here's why you're wrong from my personal and professional experience, blah, 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 right? And I think if we would just say, hey, it's okay to be wrong as long as you're open about it, then society could actually have discussions and we could move forward and somebody could say, hey, I've been wrong a lot. But when was the last time you heard a politician say, I've been wrong most of the time and I try to learn from my mistakes. Never. <laughs> they never say that. But we all know that that's how humans work. Yeah. So like, I think hopefully with some more transparency with the internet or whatever, we can try to get to that point where it's okay 
to be wrong. It's okay to learn and say, here's why I did what I did. Here's what's wrong about it. Here's what I would do next time. Here are my influences. Here's what I don't think is going to change. Here's what I think should change, whatever. Um, we need to get into that space instead of thinking that the world is bad or good or that I can be a cowboy or an astronaut. Like, no, nobody is a cowboy, man. Like every single cowboy has some kind of weird quirk that you wouldn't think of, right? Like they, really? yeah, they dress up, they dress up like, uh, they dress up like Woody from uh, toy story <laughs> and like, Oh, I'm a little cowboy doll. And you're like, okay, little private, you know, toy story time or whatever. Nobody is just that Clint Eastwood all the time. Nobody is an astronaut like all the time. They're going to have silly things that they do in the bubble bath or they do a silly voice from some cartoon character. Like it's okay. It's okay. And the more we understand that the world doesn't have to be perfect, you don't have to chase the beach all the time, you don't have to be 100% a cowboy, we can just kind of be okay with people growing and making mistakes. That's when I think people are going to feel a lot more comfortable being themselves. They're going to start to share more and they're going to mature quicker and they're going to find what fits them much, much faster. Instead of going through three divorces before you say, oh, maybe, maybe this, you know, pathway isn't for me. It's like, how about you just have a conversation with your first wife, you know, an <laughs> honest conversation. Or just having a meetup on like with all three of them. It's yeah. just like having yeah. a mastermind. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, can you please tell me what was mastermind, wrong? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like don't, don't wait 30 years to do the thing you could do today. So that's, that's great. And I, I hope, I hope that we can pass these kind of bits of knowledge on with our, to our next generation instead of telling them like, oh, study hard, marry somebody with a good education, work every day of your life to make a lot of money. It's like, hmm, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think this sounds like a really good ending here. Uh, I believe that. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Just getting, yes, just just getting started, to, baby. Just, just make just sure getting. that it's going to be a podcast. It's, there are going to be people just listening to this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they, haven't, they haven't seen me flash up all my gang signs this whole time? No, unfortunately. Mm, okay. okay. So thank you so much for taking time. I yeah, Bori, my pleasure. This has been, thanks for coming to my classroom. Thank you Cl for coming from my studio. Class dismissed. <laughs> <laughs> we need the ring now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now do the bell. Uh, All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bort. You are listening to the In Search of Something Different podcast, where we talk about new ways and ideas on how we live, work, and connect. If you like this episode, don't forget to give us a five-star rating as it helps in this world. And also, you can say hi on Instagram. You can find the show under In Search of Something Dash Different. I'll come back to you soon with the next episode, but until then... Don't forget to stay curious.